Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Anyone who believes in Him, what does it mean to believe? It's more than just believing God exists. It's more than believing God's just a good guy. It's believing what He says. If you believe in Jesus, which is what it takes to be saved, there is no name given under heaven whereby men can be saved but the name of Jesus. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. You have to believe Him. You have to believe what He says. What does it mean to believe? Is believing in Jesus the same as believing in what He says? Stay with us as we look at the words of Jesus to Nicodemus on what it takes and what it means to believe. Here's more from last time in John chapter 3 in our series, Jesus Appointments. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. We're receiving the gift of salvation by believing in Him, and that is not a work. We're simply believing what He says. But if you have to be baptized, then it becomes works. And people then, under baptismal regeneration, believe that because they've been baptized, they're okay. When not everyone who is baptized is going to make it into the kingdom of heaven, just because they've been baptized. Christian baptism. Baptism was used in Judaism for several reasons, but, but it, it was unique and distinct when we believe and are baptized. We are supposed to be baptized, but we believe and we're baptized. And we believe, and if our family believes, then they are baptized. We believe and we are baptized, and that identifies us with Christ. We're buried with Him and we're, we're risen up together with Him. But that wouldn't make any sense to Nicodemus. And Jesus doesn't go on to talk about that. Context is everything. So what does Jesus go on to talk about? This helps us to know what He's talking about. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he says, you must be born of water and the flesh. Now we know that the flesh is flesh. It's when you were born, you and I were all born. And now we know that it's of the spirit. When Adam and Eve sinned, their, their spirits died. And they have a consciousness, but their spirits were dormant. And every child that has been born ever since has a dormant spirit or has a dead spirit. And Ephesians 2, 1 says that he has made us alive. He doesn't make us physically alive. We are already physically alive. He makes us spiritually alive. I like the King James Version that says, we are quickened to life. Our spirits suddenly come alive. And we now have a spirit that can interact with the spirit of God. And you are a spirit. If your spirit is never quickened, then you can never go into eternity because you're a spirit and if your spirit lies dormant and dead, then you will perish, as he's going to say here, momentarily. But if your spirit is alive, that's who you are. You are a body. You have a consciousness. You're aware of the world around you. And by the way, people who say they're spiritual that haven't been born again, that haven't had their spirit come to life, every once in a while you hear somebody say, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not a Christian. They, 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 their spirit hasn't been quickened to life. And when you start talking to them about how, how are you spiritual? They start, they, they start talking about their consciousness. Their, their, you know, their consciousness and, and what how they see the world and those things. That's not, that's not spiritual. That's, a dog has a consciousness, but a dog's not spiritual. Your dog might be. But other than that, dogs aren't spiritual. Um, a whale has a consciousness, but a whale isn't spiritual. A, you know, a horse is conscious of the world around them and they interact with the world around them, but that doesn't make them spiritual. It is when you are born again and that spirit is quickened to life and now you have a spirit that will last forever. 
And that is your identity. That's who you are. God is a spirit, the Bible says. There are demonic spirits. There are angelic spirits. There are cherubim and there are seraphim. And there is you who are believers in Christ and you are a spirit. And that spirit will now live forever. You are not your body. You are a spirit that has a body. You are not a body that has a spirit. And there ought to be a lot of amens that go along with that. Because I'm glad that this body is not who I am. There is something inside of me, that spirit who I am. And one day this body will catch up. I may perish. The Lord may not come back in my lifetime and I may die. They may bury this body, but I will one day be resurrected. And this corruptible will put on uh, this corruptible will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immortality. I'll become basically an avenger. You watch those movies and they can slam into the sun. They run into trains. They're thrown around the world. Nothing can happen to them, right? Until they find out their weakness. Only you're going to be better than the Avengers because you're not going to have any weaknesses. You're not going to have any corruption. You're not going to have any immortality. You'll have everything in your body when it catches up to your spirit, who you are. In all of eternity, you will not be who your body is, but you will be who your spirit is. This is the beginning of it. The Bible says that if you sow to the spirit, from the spirit you will reap life. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap corruption. The Bible says that our outer man is perishing, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. When that spirit is quickened to life, we want to feed it. We want to bring it to maturity. We want to seek the things of the spirit that we can seek life. We want that inner man to be renewed day by day. And still to this day, some 45 years after I have received Jesus as my Savior, I ask God on a daily basis to renew my inner man. I still ask him, do a work in me. Help me not to see things wrongly. Because I realize that connected to this flesh, connected to the way I interact to this world through my consciousness, I can begin to see things wrong. I can be deceived by what looks one way and I can begin to believe that being the reality. And so I ask God continually, cause my spirit to grow. Let me continue to mature. Don't let me become stagnant in my spirit, but renew it day by day. I pray that for you guys. You guys hear me do it here. I often pray that we would be renewed day by day as I open up services. And that's because uh, I, I see that and want it for my life. I want it for you as well. And so you must be born of the spirit and you must be born of the flesh. Jesus makes it clear what water was probably speaking of the amniotic fluid that happens when you're born. Amniotic fluid breaks. There's water. You're born of water. You're born of the spirit. You're born of the flesh. You're born of the spirit. Jesus clarifies it. There's no question. Okay. The controversy, if you look at context, is, is none. And then he says the, in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Once your spirit is born, there's something going on that can't be seen. But you can see the influence of it. I became a different person when I came to Christ. When you begin to live for the things of the Spirit, you become a different person. And the people around you identify it and see it. They can't tell what's happened to you. They can't, see, uh, they can't see the wind, but they can see the effects of the wind. They can't see your spirit or God's spirit working within you, but they can see the effect of the spirit on your life. And oftentimes that's what draws them to Christ. Because as we surrender ourselves to God and begin to grow spiritually, we become a different person. We no longer struggle with what we used to struggle at the levels we struggled with. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't take time to overcome those things because it does. But nevertheless, 
the Spirit of God works within us and it is unseen, but there is a fruit, an evidence of our salvation that is revealed within our lives. Now, Nicodemus answers him now, and he's more sincere. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Well, he should have known. The Old Testament said, I'm going to take away your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. That's a good description of being born again spiritually. You have a heart of stone, it's going to be gone and you're going to be given a heart of flesh. Suddenly you're going to be changed. The Old Testament talked about being redeemed. He should have known. There's plenty of, of fresh starts and a born again lingo in the Old Testament that he had memorized. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Notice the word the there, the article the. He doesn't say, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Are you the teacher? He was one of those high ranking men that people listened to. And he says, you're the teacher of Israel. You don't understand these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify and what we've seen, but you have not received our witness. If I tell you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? See, salvation is an earthly thing. You're on earth and you need to be saved. You need to have Christ come into your life. You need to be transformed. You need to discover who you are in Christ. And this is things of the earth. But there's so much more about heaven that is amazing. Heaven is not just like an eternal vacation. That's what people think heaven is. I want to die. I want to go to heaven because I want to be on vacation forever. There was a twilight zone, of course, years ago. It wasn't one of the newer twilight zones, it was an older one. And you guys may remember this twilight zone where a guy dies and he finds himself in heaven and he's golfing and every shot he makes is goes in the hole. And there's beautiful women all over the place and every beautiful woman that he tries to have a relationship with has a relationship with him. It's just everything goes his way. Everything goes his way. This goes on for a few thousand years. And he goes finally back to the angel and he says, I really didn't expect heaven to be like this. I'm bored to tears. Every, every, I don't want to play golf anymore because every shot goes in and there's no challenge with these women. Every, any woman that I want, I get. And, there's no, and the angel said, you think this is heaven? <laughs> right? And, and I agree. An eternal vacation would be hell. That would be hell. Vacations are great for a while, but pretty soon it's like I'm done. Usually before the time I set up for vacation, I'm ready to get back from vacation. So he says, if I speak to you about earthly things and you don't understand them, why am I going to speak to you about heavenly things? How are you ever going to get a comprehension of what heaven is like if you stumble at your spirit uh, being born again here in this earthly realm? And so he says, now he's going to correct this little statement that he made Teacher, I know you're from God because no one does the works that you do unless they come from God. Jesus corrects that. He says, no one ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, if you don't realize the background of the Old Testament, that sounds like a nonsensical statement to you. Who is he who goes up into heaven, but he who comes down from heaven, that is the son of God, a man who is from heaven. But if you know the Old Testament, and you know Daniel chapter 7, Take note of that. Read it. Every Christian needs to know it. It will help you to know what Jesus meant when he said, the Son of Man must suffer these things. When he refers to himself as the Son of Man, Jesus most often refers to himself as the Son of Man. And if you don't know what the Old Testament says, you think he's talking about his humanity. Well, he's the son of a human. That's what he's saying, the Son of Man. But in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees a vision of the Ancient of Days with thrones. Not one throne, but thrones. 
and coming on the clouds is the Son of Man. And he comes and he joins the Ancient of Days and he sits down on a throne with the Ancient of Days and he has given power and dominion and glory forever and ever. Daniel chapter 7 reveals that the Son of Man is God. And so every time Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer, the Son of Man, he's talking about himself being God. That's why when he says to Caiaphas on the night that he's arrested, Caiaphas asks him, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, yes. But from now on, you are going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory, given dominion and power and glory forever and ever. And Caiaphas tears his clothes. Ah, gets all, what further need do we have of a trial? This man's blaspheming. Because he says he's the Son of Man? If he was just a human, he's just saying he's human. No, because he's declaring to be God. Nicodemus would be familiar with that. Nicodemus would know it. So when he says to him, who is he who ascends, but first of all, he who descended, the son of man who descended, who, or the son of man who came from heaven. And so he is claiming to be God. People say sometimes, Jesus never claimed to be God. You've got it right here in verse 13. All you've got to do is be familiar with Daniel chapter 7. And if you don't listen very often to where I say, go and read and become familiar with it, get familiar with Daniel chapter 7. It is going to help you as a Christian on a lot of different levels if you understand that. Really, the whole Old Testament, we've got to know because God is complex and this speaks of the complexity of God and that there is a precedent for these things. We're just not out of the blue saying that, that Jesus is God. Uh, these things are established and developed in the Old Testament. And so in verse 15, it says, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because of the next verse, don't read ahead. Wait, 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 wait. Anyone who believes in him, what does it mean to believe? It's more than just believing God exists. It's more than believing God's just a good guy. It's believing what he says. If you believe in Jesus, which is what it takes to be saved, there is no name given under heaven whereby men can be saved but the name of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. You have to believe him. You have to believe what he says. Abraham, God had said to him, your wife, Sarah, although she is very old, is going to have a son. And from his descendants is going to come one who's going to bless the entire world. And Abraham said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. You don't need to make Sarah have a child. She's an old lady. But let Ishmael, and God said, no, but Sarah shall have a son. And it is through him that the world will be blessed. And, and Abraham believes God. And the Bible says it's accredited to him righteousness. Because he believed God. What did he believe? He believed that the Messiah was going to come through Sarah having a child, Isaac, and through his, one of his descendants, was going to bless all nations. And God accredited to him righteousness. God said, I'm going to extend you credit for righteousness. Jesus paid off all those debts when he died on the cross. But if you believe in him today, you believe what he says. You believe that you need to trust in him. You believe that you need the forgiveness of your sins. Do you believe in him? Do you believe what he's saying, that your spirit needs to be renewed? You have to have your spirit quickened. You've got to come to life spiritually. If you believe in him, then you will not perish. Now look at that word perish. It talks about the afterlife apart from God. And we know that as hell. And I think that hell, there's two different views of hell that are wrong. There's the first view of hell that kind of comes from the Middle Ages. It's the Dante's Inferno Hell. That is that that God's going to take everybody, no matter what, and you are all wicked, horrible, awful people. I mean, so bad that you deserve to have your skin filleted off your body for all of eternity. 
and that, that God's going to do that to everybody. That God's going to, but Jesus said something different. Jesus said that in this eternal life apart from God, some would be beaten with few stripes and some would be beaten with many. There is no one who will be justified because you have sin and you can't be justified. But God's not going to treat you the same way he treats Hitler. And there's a certain theological group that will tell you that the heart of man is so black and evil that everybody deserves this. That if some grandma dies somewhere, she's a sweet old grandma, that if she dies, she's going to be tormented, uh, being flayed her entire existence. I don't believe that. I believe God is fair. I believe God is just. I believe that there will be a judgment of her life and I believe that there will be a punishment but I do not believe it will be the same as Hitler or someone else that deserves a whole lot more. God is just, God is true, God is right, and he is not just going to just, you know, looking forward to tormenting anybody, any old grandma that dies for all of eternity. Now that may upend your view of what or what you believe about hell or what you've been told about hell, but I think that that teaching that doesn't take into the account what the Bible says about hell causes a lot of problems. On the other side, there's people who say that, well, hell just is, you know, doesn't really exist, that it's really just, you know, uh, people are just going to perish, they're just going to disappear, there's going to be no judgment, there's going to be no suffering. And that's a wrong view as well, because Jesus said the worm never dies, the fire never goes out, the smoke of their torment goes on forever and ever. We just want a biblical view. And people will say to me, well, you're telling people that they might be beaten with few stripes. And then if you're listening to this, you're probably going, that's me. I'm a good person, I'm going to be beaten with a few stripes. Well, maybe so, but... You know, maybe when I go to heaven, I'd be beaten with a few. I don't know. Probably a lot, but maybe a few. Just because I know myself. And if you're honest with yourself, you know yourself. But I don't want to be beaten with a few. <laughs> right? I don't want a more tolerable hell than really bad people. Right? I don't want that. And I don't think anybody does. So if you do not believe in him, you will perish the Bible says that many are they that go to destruction and few are they that go to life. And we understand that God is completely fair. We understand that God is completely just, but we want eternal life, which he says then, who will not perish but have eternal life. And again, eternal life is not just one giant vacation. We become a royal, we are a royal priesthood. We are a special chosen people. We are a holy nation. We are a separated people for him. We have been empowered by God we will have responsibilities in eternity. We will rule and reign with him, which is why God created us in the image of God and then gave us dominion over this earth, which was lost shortly after that by Adam and Eve. So eternity is so much more than we can even begin to think and comprehend. We receive an inheritance that goes out forever. So don't think of the Twilight Zone episode when you think of heaven. Man, I'd rather go to hell and party with the sinners than be in heaven with, you know, with the saints. I, you are greatly mistaken and you will be sorry for it. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He says the same thing he said in the chapter before, but he adds in that God so loves the world. That means that God loves everybody. That means God loves me and God loves you and God loves people that don't agree with you. Sean had prayed when he opened up the service about the divisiveness in our nation. And it is incredibly divisive. And it's split down these party lines. And we see it a lot on Facebook. You'll, you'll see people write and respond. And the anger that even Christians have as they attack someone that has a different viewpoint from them. And I'm not going to tell you what to do. The Bible says that us pastors, we are not to lord over the flock. 
I had kind of joked with you that you should not tell people what they should do earlier, which, of course, I'm telling you what you should not do when I'm telling you you shouldn't tell people what they should do. But can I say just that we have a call that is far greater than anything political? That those people that have those different views, that God loves them, and that when you draw a line over worldly things, and politics is worldly, when you draw a line over worldly things and you make that about who you are, then you take off the table your ability to be able to reach them for Christ. I, I have a political view. I vote. I believe it's important for where we are. I believe it's important, especially for the Holocaust against the unborn, which is the main driver behind why I vote. But I do not ever want to let my political view get in the way of me being able to share Christ with people who are lost, dying, and perishing. And it's not as important to me as the gospel is. And I see a lot of Christians, it seems like it's more important to them than anything else. Let's remember that God loves this world and we're the ones that have been sent out to make a difference in this world. He loves people that are in Brazil. He loves people in Chile. He loves people that are in Nepal. He loves people who are in India. He loves people that are everywhere and that we would really understand that and that we've been given the keys to the kingdom. He goes on to say, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. We'll easily condemn people. He didn't come to condemn people, but that the world through him might be saved. He came not to condemn, but to save. He says, he who believes in him is not condemned. Praise God. If you believe in him, you won't be condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already. You've heard people say, I, I won't believe in a God who can send people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. You're condemned already because your spirit is not alive. Your spirit needs to be able to come alive to experience eternal life. And if you don't do that, then you are condemned already and you are already perishing. So that for all of us here, if we've never invited Jesus into our lives, we need to do that because that's the way that the spirit comes to life. Not only does our spirit come to life and we become the spiritual individual who is truly spiritual, but we are transformed. Old things pass away, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and everything becomes new. And also God has a call, a purpose, a plan for your life. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You have been given the keys to the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. You are the called out ones, the ecclesia, those that are given power and authority here on this earth, the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That's who we are when we surrender our lives to him. May we live that way. And if you've never received him as your savior or you walked away and you need to come back, then I want to give you that opportunity before we go. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Close, close to a half an hour. Close, close. All right. Father, we want to thank you for the study of your word. We want to thank you for the love that you've given us. We want to thank you that you tell us these truths what if we didn't have this appointment with Nicodemus that we could study and we would not know that our spirits need to come to life. They need to be born again or born from above. And so, Lord, we pray that for those who are here who have their spirits born again or, or their spirits are born, they've been born again. I pray that the inner man would be renewed. We pray that they would sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. We pray that they would become mature, that their spirit would be what you want it to be, strong, unseen, 
and yet influencing the world around it. Even as Jesus said, you don't see the wind, but you see the influences of the wind. You can't see my spirit, but we see the influences of it. May that be the case for all who are here. And for those who have never received you or those who, who received you a while ago, but then neglected their spirit and need to come back, we pray that you would give them boldness to take the next step. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Kagan 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.